Revelation chapter 5. As we uh, turn to this passage, I just want to quickly give you a context. First of all, the book of Revelation, some of you will say, oh, that's an impossible book to understand. In fact, God has given it, especially for the church of this time, for us to understand. If there's any book of the Bible we should know back to front and understand, it's the book of Revelation. It says at the very beginning of the book, blessed is he who hears the words of this prophecy and takes it to heart because the times are near. The time being the judgment of God upon the world and the end of the world. Blessed is he who hears and takes to heart the words of this prophecy. We're meant to understand it. We're meant to be encouraged and comforted by it. And so it's written to seven churches in a very difficult time. They're in the hotbed of persecution at that time under Roman rule. And so that's why you find seven letters to seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. And before God in his word goes on to reveal those images, which we sort of associate with the word apocalypse, the word apocalypse, by the way, basically means to reveal, to show. There's nothing scary about it. It's, it's the revelation of Jesus, showing who Jesus is, but also it belongs to him. And before those images which scare the daylights out of a lot of people come up, God wants to comfort his people. He wants to reassure them that they have nothing to fear. And so in chapter 4, you get this glorious image, a vision of God in, in heaven. So John is raised up to heaven in a vision, and he sees God on the throne. He remembers who's in control. He remembers the God whom he worships. This is the God that he has to remind the churches about. And then we come to chapter 5, which is the, the chapter we're looking at now. Now, some of you might remember that uh, just before I went on holidays many months ago, I preached from Revelation 4. Well, this is a pause, like I said, a pause before the, the seals are broken and the trumpets are broken and the bowls of wrath are poured out. And so in the continuation of this pause, we come to this revelation about Jesus himself. We've seen God in heaven, but now we're going to see Jesus in heaven. And remember, the vision is there for our comfort, to give us courage and strength in what's coming. So in a way, it's, it's my job and the job of any pastor, especially in these days, to prepare God's people for what may soon come. So let me uh, read to you from Revelation 5. Then, so after having seen the vision of God on the throne, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scrolls and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. 
He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Isn't that a vision? Isn't that a beautiful picture of Jesus? So as we uh, come to God's word this morning, let's just pray. Father, we praise you and we give you thanks that we have the freedom and the peace to be able to gather this morning. And as we do so, as we turn to your word now, forgive us when this is a book that we may have uh, very much skipped over, not understanding its significance for our times. And we pray that as we turn to it today together, that your spirit will fill us. Open up our hearts wide to receive the comfort and the courage and the joy that you have in store for us. Help us to see Jesus as he is today. And Lord, we pray indeed that as we do that, that we may have courage for the fight. That no matter what life throws at us, no matter what comes in the future, no matter how horrendous, no matter how painful, that we know that Jesus reigns. That all things are in his hands. That even if we should lose our lives for his sake, that we shall find it. And so, Lord, we ask that you'll be with us now. Help us to receive the blessing of your word through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when you turn to God's word, you find that it speaks of a very positive picture when it comes to children. It speaks of a joyful sort of picture, something filled with expectation, something that indeed is a, a thing that parents and grandparents should look forward to. It says in uh, Psalm 127, 3, 5, and this is just one example, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are reward from him. Now, I know we don't always feel that way, but it's true. Children are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. 
Now, if you don't know what a quiver is, it's that little pouch that's carried like a, bap a backpack, and all the arrows went in it in, in ancient times. And when they were fighting, they could just get a new arrow for the bow. Quiver. Used to be a little round sort of uh, receptacle. And it says here, blessed is a man whose quiver is full of them. In other words, blessed is the man who's got lots of kids. Today, uh, Jesse and Carla brought Nemo before the Lord in the context of this congregation and this place of worship to receive that very special sign of God's covenant relationship, not just with her parents, but with her as well. As young as she is, the promises of God belong to her as much as they do to her parents and even grandparents and great-grandparents. But when we today have shared in that joy, and note too, not just the joy of the parents and, and the wider family, but we've also joyed in the delight of the Lord. We, we, we haven't seen that. We don't see God physically. But I assure you from his word, God has absolutely been delight, delighted with regard to what took place this morning. Uh, to put it in an Aussie idiom, God is stoked. He's stoked when he sees parents bringing their children to receive the sign and seal of the covenant through baptism. He loves it. And yet in today's world, there are many parents who don't want to have children, for whom children aren't a blessing for one reason or another. Some do it because they're, they're afraid of climate change. They don't want to add to the problems of the world by having more, more people on the planet. And that seems to be a rising trend. There's also people who do it for financial reasons. They can't bear to think of how they can afford to bring up this child. You know, I forget what the figures are, but last time I heard it's over a million dollars to raise a child from baby to the time they leave home. Well, it could be more than that if they leave home at 30 or 40. <laughs> and then in this materialistic age, there are those who don't want children because it will stunt their lifestyle. Very selfish reason. They want to still be able to go out and do the things that they want to do. But the reason that I want to look at this morning is the reason that, that some people have for not having children is because of the uncertainty of the times in which we live. Is it truly a blessing to have a child and bring that child into this world where violence is, is growing, where indeed war could break out not just in Ukraine and not just in Gaza, but also the whole world once more? Is that really something a parent should consider doing? And it's not just something that's out there somewhere. But in the last few weeks here in Australia, we've seen ugly pictures. Ugly pictures of those protesting what has been going on in the Middle East. Those who have been calling again for the destruction of Israel. We've heard things that we would never believe that we would hear in Australia, gas the Jews. We've seen the horrors of war in Gaza with the thousands of civilians who've been killed, men, women, and thousands of children. The thing that shocks me is how quickly 
people rise up and they have anger with regard to what's going on in Gaza. But I haven't seen one demonstration in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or Perth against Russia. Has that ever struck you? And yet there have been more cities and more townships completely leveled over nearly two years. Our world is bonkers. People forget war is horrific. I read just yesterday that in Germany, when the Allies bombed Germany to bring an end to World War II, about two million German civilians were killed. We forget the cost of war. That's why we, we long for peace. But the question remains, is this a place we want to bring kids? Is it really a blessing to them, let alone a blessing to us to bring them into a world like this? When we turn to the book of Revelation and we look to Revelation 5 this morning, the answer is an emphatic yes. And that shouldn't be news to us because we sing of it in the hymn, Because He Lives. You know how it goes, because he lives, I can what? Face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. No um, strings attached there, no, no uh, you know, little things to say, well, maybe if this happened, I, 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 I would not be able to face tomorrow. No, no, there's nothing there. Anything that happens, no matter what it is, because he lives, I can face it. He goes on to say in that hymn these words, and this relates nicely to the baptism this morning. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, she gives. But greater still the calm assurance. Hear that? Greater still the calm assurance. This child can face uncertain days because he lives. Should we be bringing children into the world in uncertain days? This hymn says, yes. This child can face uncertain days because he lives. And that's what we want to see this morning from this passage. What is it about Christ living that makes it a blessing for a child to come into the world today? What, what is it that for you and I, no matter what life throws at us, whether it's a diagnosis with regard to a terminal illness, whether it's the loss of a job, whether it's another five uh, hikes in the rates, no matter what it is, why can we face it? Because he lives. Revelation 5 gives the answer. And so when we think of those seven churches, they had a big question that was in their mind. And Jesus, in his incredible love for the church, gives them this revelation to assure them of an answer to a question they had in their hearts and minds. The question basically was, is Caesar greater than Christ? Because they were in the time of the Roman Empire and Rome was persecuting them. Turkey, which was Asia Minor, Turkey today, was the hotbed of persecution at the time. People were losing their lives. It says in Revelation 2.10, in one of the letters to the churches, 
Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. In other words, for a short time. And then it says, be faithful even to the point of death. In other words, it was going to get worse. Be faithful even to the point of death. You're going to suffer. Some of you will be put into prison and some of you will die for the faith. It seemed as though Caesar was greater. There would have been a temptation that Satan would have brought in to desert Christ, to give up. Life would be a lot easier if they just worshipped the emperor, which was the, the big thing in those days. Have you ever wondered why in the book of Revelation you have this repeated theme with regard to Jesus? King of kings and Lord of lords. It's repeated constantly. Why? Because that's the theme of the book. Caesar is not greater. Jesus is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And that's what you and I need to be reminded of today. And so in the vision... John sees in God's hand a scroll. What's so important about the scroll? What does it represent? Well, basically it represents the rest of earth's history. Put up your hand. I'm going to ask you to do this. Put up your hand if you're longing to go to heaven. Yep. I don't want to go to hell. I'm longing for heaven. You know, I get so tired sometimes, especially on my trips in the Murchison. I'm not getting any younger. Sometimes the thought comes to me, it'd be nice to be of the Lord. To hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy and rest of your master. Heaven is something to look forward to. So the scroll represents the rest of earth's history that brings heaven. It's all about the, the coming of the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of Satan being supplanted, that is, being taken over by the kingdom of Christ. And so John hears this mighty angel proclaim loudly, who's worthy to break the seals and to open the scroll? So I've just told you, the scroll represents the rest of earth's history. It will not unfold. History will not advance unless someone's found worthy to break the seals. And it had seven seals. Unless someone is found to break the seals of the scroll. John's longing for heaven like we do. It's not going to happen unless someone is found worthy. And what we read in Revelation 5.3 is, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. No one. And then we see that, that John is devastated. He's inconsolable. We read, I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside do you and I understand what was at stake with regard to this scroll and someone worthy to, to break the seals? I wonder 
how many of, of us here this morning don't know Handel's Messiah? Aren't familiar with the Hallelujah Chorus? In Revelation 11:15, which is the passage we're going to be looking at next time in Wongan Hills, Lord willing, we get this beautiful imagery of what happens at the end of time. It says this, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. The words of the Hallelujah Chorus, Handel's Messiah, picks up those words. It's a beautiful, yeah, you hear it every Christmas. It fires your imagination when you, you hear that, that Hallelujah Chorus. And it's speaking about this, but there's no Hallelujah Chorus if there's no breaking of the seals. Get the picture? This is how important this scroll is and it's being broken. All the seals being broken. That's why John was devastated when no one was found worthy. But quickly an angel comes to him and tells him not to, to weep, not, not to be devastated. There is someone who can break the seals of the book. There is someone who can come that will advance earth's history and bring it to its conclusion so the kingdom of God will overcome the kingdom of Satan. It says there in verse 5, then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. We're going to sing in a moment, You're the line of Judah. Words in that hymn come from this passage. What if you realized it? You're the line of Judah. Jesus, we're singing to Jesus, you're the, you're the, you're the one, you're, you're the line of Judah. Where does that imagery come from, this, this imagery of the line of Judah? Well, when you go to Genesis 49, 8 to 12, where Jacob is blessing each of his sons before his death, we read this with regard to Judah. You are a lion's cub, O Judah, you return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. That's way back in Genesis. And it's talking about the line of Judah. And it's talking about him ruling over the nations. Remember the hymn, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. It goes way back to Genesis. Also, with regard to the root of Jesse, we read in uh, Romans 15, 12, it alludes to that. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations. And so Psalm 2 I have installed my king on Zion. Hope you enjoyed singing that coronation hymn. It sounded great from up here. Crown him with many crowns. Are you beginning to get the picture? He is worthy 
to break the seals. He is worthy to bring in the kingdom of God. I won't ask anyone to own up if they watched the coronation of King Charles. But if you did, you would have seen Charles sitting on the coronation throne. And the very beginning of the service, just after he sat down, you know what happened? A child, a child came up in front of him and welcomed him. And you know what the child said? Listen, word for word. Your majesty, the children of the kingdom of God welcome you in the name of the king of kings. Charles was being reminded his reign, his kingship was subservient to that of Christ. Oh, I almost cried to, when I saw that. And so John turns to, to take a look at this line of Judah. But what does he see? Does he see this line? No. He sees a lamb as though it's been slaughtered, ready for sacrifice. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. Remember in Revelation 4, you've got the throne of God, you've got the four living creatures around, then you've got the thrones of the 24 elders. I saw this lamb standing in the center of the throne. It's Jesus. How do we know? Well, it says in Revelation 5, 9 to 10, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchase men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. The line of Judah is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. It's Jesus. And then we get this incredible sight. And, and I want you to try and imagine this. So often we don't take time to paint the picture in our minds. But if we, if we would just take the time, then our hearts would, not only would be filled with joy, but our hearts and our faith would be strengthened. What's the picture? When, when Jesus is proclaimed as the one who was slain and who uh, brings indeed all these people to God because he's purchased them, what do we see? And when he had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Imagine this. Jesus takes the scroll. The immediate reaction is the 24 elders on the thrones. What do they do? From their thrones, they just fall down prostrate before the Lamb. You can hear the shuffling, as it were. You hear this noise of movement. And when you take a look, it's these 24 elders falling down, not before God, but before the Lamb. And then we read in verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. So you got the four living creatures, you got the 24 elders, and now thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels around them. 
And what do we hear? We hear this wonderful, wonderful uh, song that's being sung. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then it goes on to say, the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Note that they worshipped God and the Lamb. Jesus really God? Heaven worships him. With God on the throne, heaven worships him. You're the Lion of Judah. And so we ask that question again, uh, are children really blessed and, and are we blessed with the coming of children into the world at this time? If we look to Revelation 5, as I said before, the, there's only one answer and the answer is yes. You might say, well, well, how does that work? They might be one of the ones who have to give up their life and find it. But here's a question for you. The church has a mission, right? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Anyone remember that song, Shine, Jesus, Shine? Fill this land with the Holy Spirit and work in our hearts. What about the song, Go Forth in His Name? The church has a mission. Listen to these words uh, that come elsewhere in Scripture. Malachi 2.15 talking about marriage and divorce and talking about the purpose of marriage it says this has not the lord made them one in flesh and spirit they are his and why one listen because he was seeking godly offspring he's talking about the purpose of marriage what's god looking for especially in a christian marriage he's looking for godly offspring What's one of the greatest responsibility Christian parents can have if the Lord so blesses them? To have godly offspring. Why is that such a blessing and why is that so important? Because if the church today does not have the next generation, where's the light to the world? Who will hear the gospel? You know, we baptized Nemo this morning. Beautiful. But Nemo has a great responsibility upon her as she gets older to carry the light. Not her light, but the light of Christ to the world. It's our responsibility as a community, a covenant community, to, to help raise up those children. And they say that it takes a village to raise a child. It's our responsibility to help those children to grow up, to become those who will carry the flame further until Christ returns. Have you ever thought about that? Instead of having less children, we should be thinking about what does God want of us? How can we play that part in the church that God wants to grow? You know, we sing that song, Build Your Church, God. Build Your Church, Lord. He builds it through us, through the children that we bring into the world by His grace and mercy. But it's scary. In this world where they may suffer, how can they endure? Let me finish with these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can't guarantee our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren won't suffer. As the world comes closer to the return of Jesus, Jesus says persecution will become more severe for the Christian. But like for us today, so our children and our grandchildren, they have this assurance. No matter what happens in Christ, they are more then conquerors and the mission is still theirs to go and make disciples of all nations so we're going to sing this song i'm going to read the words or some of them but you're going to i'm sure raise the ceiling when you sing you're the lion of judah the lamb that was slain you ascended to heaven and evermore will reign at the end of the age when the earth you reclaim you will gather the nations before you. And the eyes of all men will be fixed on the Lamb who was crucified. For with wisdom and mercy and justice you'll reign at your Father's side. And the angels will cry. So on one hand the angels. And the angels will cry, Hail the Lamb who was slain for the world. Rule in power. And the earth, us, will reply, you shall reign as the king of all kings and the lord of all lords let's stand and sing